Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy this show, please share it with a friend and say positive things about us on Twitter and Facebook. This is the biggest way that podcasts grow. If you've not yet given us a five-star rating or a positive review, Pause what you're doing and do so now. Follow us on Twitter at, at @clergylay and join our Facebook discussion group. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother Chris, a handsome and eloquent priest. In addition, we have a special guest today, Hello. Scott Schultz. Scott is a lay theologian in the Anglican Church in North America and host of the podcast Reformed Pilgrims. Scott, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I, I'm, I'm one of the hosts of Reform Pilgrims. I have two other co-hosts and one somewhere out there who may or may not ever return to us. <laughs> so, Scott, it's good to good to meet you um, after kind of um, hearing you and hearing about you from Christopher. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, um, I've had quite a journey in terms of faith. Uh, I grew up Mennonite, which is Baptist with old clothes. <laughs> um, and uh, I've, I've made my way through uh, the Baptist circles, the Reformed and Presbyterian circles, and uh, now uh, on, the, on the Canterbury Trail. Welcome aboard. Yeah, it's an interesting thing in the Baptist world, um, kind of coming to Reformed theology, Scott, and then as you embrace reformed theology you realize you have to wrestle with baptizing infants right. it's, it's something that many kind of uh many like there, there is a divide where reformed baptists are on the one side um and yet um scott is it can someone really be a reformed baptist <laughs> well <laughs> what we say as you know he's as we're trying to be as generous as possible welcome to all our reformed pilgrims listeners <laughs> Well, thankfully, uh, my one co-host is a Presbyterian elder. My other co-host is a Presbyterian. Um, we we our our mystery kind of ghost co-host who may someday return is a uh, Baptist <laughs> pastor, but he has so much going on. He hasn't he hasn't mm -hmm. joined us in a long time. So, uh, dumb question: Mennonites uh, with. Um, were they Pado Baptists or believers? No, Baptists? no, they come out of uh, from Menel Simmons, who was an Anabaptist. Okay, um, very uh, radically Pietistic in terms of experience. Um, it was very common for Anabaptists to be baptized multiple times. Oh, okay, so out of the Anabaptist tradition. Right. Yes. Right. So, 
I told you yesterday, we hung out yesterday, and that was a lot of fun, um, that in 2017, I was at the Wartburg Castle in yes. Germany, where Martin Luther went into hiding um, while papal assassins <laughs> were searching Germany for him. And in the Wartburg Castle, there was a, a small prison cell. And it was explained to us, oh, that's where the local Anabaptist was. Hmm. And I nodded approvingly. So just, just <laughs> as an aside, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Dan Carlin. He does a podcast called Hardcore History. And yes. He did a long, did you listen to the, the story on um, what city? It's where they have the cages hanging from the steeples. <laughs> Where they had the, it was it was part of the it was during the radical reformation and a whole city was taken over. Was it um uh was it Munster? Munster, yeah. yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um and uh, yeah, sometimes he, Anabaptists just won't listen. It's hard. You need cages <laughs> yeah. and other devices. But uh, great, great program. Uh, it's I want to say sixteen hours long. There's some pretty crazy things that went down during the Reformation. There was one city where where um I mean this this was the beginning of many. Uh, sort of utopian kind of some right. some cities um, thought they were going to do this return to Eden thing and suddenly people you know stopped wearing clothes it, like because they had you know reinstituted the kingdom of God in the way that they they saw fit we read Galatians and it's like I know what to do with my Christian freedom yeah so <laughs> so it's very very strange also we saw um kind of a, I don't know if it would have been the Catholics or Protestants who thought that a fitting um uh, way of of um, capital punishment for Anabaptists was to drown them. That was a typical. <laughs> if you want to, if you, know, you want to rebaptize, you don't want to baptize. I got. I got. You want to be baptized many times? Yeah. Well, so crazy <laughs> stuff. Um, but back to sanity. Um, it's, it's interesting uh, as evangelicalism in America has has become very patriotic, and you know. In, in some churches, you, you'll see mm -hmm. flags, American flags. Um, th there's an odd thing. There's a, a Christian flag that that um, hangs in some churches. That venerable ancient Christian flag, which probably <laughs> goes back to 1958. Or yeah. yeah, it's a Baptist invention. Yeah, probably that seems right. Where um, Mennonites are, are very interesting. Like they they are not only are they uh, pacifists, but they uh, are kind of an, a a good voice right now against like undue influence of Americanism and patriotism in the church. Like, right. like where, where, where do our uh, allegiances lie? And um, I think we have a lot to learn from them. So uh, yeah, stop baptizing people many times, but um, <laughs> there's a lot that we could take from them. So let me ask you about kind of your, your journey. Um, for, for many people, it's kind of the, the, the realization that, as we kind of been talking about and laughing about that, um, um, pater baptism has always been kind of part of the Christian story and how we welcome believers into the kingdom. But for other people, it's a it's a sense that it's a sense of historicity that we are one body, united back. A sense of um, the Catholic and Apostolic Church. Um, I remember listening to John MacArthur, uh, mm. watching a snippet of a little talk he had, and. Um, and, and to, to his credit, so I'm, I'm about to, to smile and laugh at something he said, but to his credit, kind of, I think there's pockets of Baptist land they are trying to become more historical and have deeper roots, right? And he said, we read books. We read old books, right? This from a 
church that created itself in 1689, right? And, um, you know, as an Anglican, of course, we the, uh, we smile, right? Because one of our great anchors is apostolic succession back to the apostles. Um, was there a sense of historicity as well on your Canterbury Trail? That, no. wait a moment, the church is older than 400 years old? Well, I mean, those were realizations I had along the way. Um, but, you know, I, I was raised in a tradition that was very much Bible centric. And so I'm very thankful for that. Um, and a friend of mine in high school, who uh, sadly has spiraled off into progressive Christianity, um, he pointed out to me in John 6 about what Jesus says about those coming to him and, and uh, how he raises them up. And he's like, this is the conclusion I've come to from this. And I don't know if I can escape it. And so we, I did some reading on it and then looked into it a little more. And it was Calvinism, that dreaded thing. <laughs> and uh, uh, like, like many uh, people who are reformed, they and come to being reformed, they, they set out to disprove it and they end up embracing it. Right. Um, and because, you know, I was raised Mennonite, which is, they don't say the creed in church. I, I, I have no doubt they believe they would believe right. it, but uh, they don't say it. They don't have confessions. Um, they have the, uh, the great confession of the Bible is my confession, you know, which is a confession. Right. Um, right. Um, <laughs> not very. No creeds, but Christ. Right, exactly. Creed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, they're very not heavy on doctrine, um, except when it comes to making sure you're a believer first before you're baptized and eschatology. Um, I think I knew more about the book of revelation or I thought I did, um, by the time I graduated high school than any other book. Um, and, and a very particular form of eschatology. Yeah, so there's an emphasis on, yeah. on premillennial yeah, dispensationalism I, I, uh, or just premillennialism? Very, very yeah. heavily dispensational. Um, I, I remember having a recurring nightmare mm. that I was at church when the trumpet sounded for the rapture and everybody mm. started going up and I wasn't. <laughs> and, and I'm jumping up and down and, and I'm not floating up. I'm not What's floating. And, um, but those things kind of came off and changed later as I went along. Uh, I still remember where I was when I realized that being a Calvinist, which I thought was just the five points, right? Um, mm. Not not Dort, not the Synod of Dort, which is much more robust than the five points that has come down to us. Um, but I remember I was reading uh, a left one of the Left Behind prequel books. And something they said in there, and it just clicked with me. And I was like, this, this doesn't work. This, this, this does not work at all with what I've come to believe here. And uh, so I, I investigated that. I, I came out on the amillennial side. Uh, I tried to be optimistic about being an amillennial. Um, and then, you know, I, I slowly, you get challenged in things. And so... Um, I went to Dort College, uh, spent all my time at Dort, a confirmed uh, Baptist, um, and it wasn't until a few years ago, uh, around the time that my son was in utero, my firstborn, that uh, a good friend to me said something to me. He said, you know, I was saying that, you know, well, yeah, of course, we'll baptize 
Alex just to keep peace and you know um and they said but we'll raise him the same and he says no no you won't you really won't because you can't look at your children and say jesus loves you as a mm. baptist and mean it in mm. the way that someone who baptizes their children mm. means it yeah um, and so that was that was kind of the thread that started to unravel mm. um and i i owe a lot to uh, r scott clark who is a professor in at Westminster West, um, he pointed out to me in, in Jeremiah, where he's talking about, you know, a new covenant I will make with you. He compares that to the covenant made at Sinai, not with Abraham. And so the new covenant is relative to Moses, not to Abraham. And so those were threads unraveling this mm. tapestry of being a Baptist. So um, within, within kind of um, Anglican land, which is a, a wild, crazy house that contains many rooms. Um, but a, a lot of people, a lot of time can go by and people kind of may lose the sense that, um, or may not know that our 39 articles, kind of our, our founding documents are just our reform. They just mm -hmm. are. Oh yeah. Um, there, was a, there was a sort of a foreign exchange program <laughs> um, by necessity between Switzerland and England during Queen Mary's reign, mm -hmm. as uh, most English divines went into exile and really kind of bathed in uh, continental reform theology during that time. And then during Elizabeth's reign, came back mm -hmm. um, and and that, that very much colored um, what happened afterwards. Um, now, uh, I, I, I remember saying this to a friend one time and he didn't like it. I like it. I think it's funny. It's self-deprecating. Sometimes people wonder, like, what, what, what is Anglicanism? And, and this, this one person said, uh, it's Calvin and drag. <laughs> right, <That's> <laughs> right, because it's Calvin, Calvin in full Catholic vestments, right? So, I mean, we, I, I know that we probably have um, Anglo-Catholic listeners or Anglo-Lutheran listeners or um, whatever, but um, but uh, certainly our origins are, are reformed, and our, our um, the Elizabethan documents are all reformed. The 1552 prayer book is heavily reformed, so it is it is an anchor kind of in our in our. Um, formularies and it's it's there so scott i'm um I, I i love that you've embraced that and um we can see this but but the listener can't see this you have a shirt that says certified certified cage-free calvinist so no cages for you sir yeah i i don't know <laughs> who coined the term of cage stage calvinist but it's uh basically and i think every everybody has a cage stage um where you should be locked in a cage and not be able to talk to anybody mm -hmm. and you should just learn um, but the, the Calvinist cage stages are very famous <laughs> for just being nasty, horrible people. And unfortunately, uh, many of them, while they somehow get out of their cage, uh, their, their mind has never left the cage. Mm. And so the young, restless and reformed are, are, what is, what sort of concentric circles do we have here? If we had a Venn diagram, how much overlap is there between the young, restless, and reformed and those who are in their cage stage? Most of them. Most of them, okay. Um, Part of being restless and yeah, young and restless. Young, and restless, and reformed, it, it, it was really more young, restless, and predestinarian. Okay. Mm. Um, because that, I think with very few exceptions, that was pretty much all led by Baptists. Uh, Kevin DeYoung was part of that movement. He's he's in the uh, PCA, PCA now, think, yeah. um, but for the most part, most young, restless, and reformed were Baptists, 
And the ones who have left the Baptist tradition and become Presbyterians, they've kind of carried that cage stage with them. Um, it's it, it's it's sadly ironic that um, you know they act like you know first they thought you know as a Baptist you know this this is right, and then you know they they quote the Westminster divines as if they have you know the same authority that they had when they were Baptists. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's almost like a you know. Roman Catholics quoting the magisterium as if the magisterium right. could not err. Uh, mm. These Westminster divines, no matter how obscure, no matter what off the wall thing they believed, uh, they were Westminster divines. So they mm. must, they, we must listen. To so them. you don't, you don't know this about me, but like on the Haber Bros bingo card, you just, you just, or you just kick, you just uh, ran over a Haberman tripwire, a Kirk Haberman tripwire. I cannot let anyone refer to the Westminster divines without reminding them that they had jailed and imprisoned the king and the bishops. So everything they were doing in 1645 was completely <laughs> illegitimate. So take that Presbyterians. You're really nice, but like, I'm, you, I'm really, you're regicides, regicidal maniacs. <laughs> All right. I'm really <laughs> grateful for everything that, for the good things that I learned during my time in Presbyterian reform land. Um, why I left that, that's another story. Um, unfortunately, that one's more cultural and not theological. Um, but yeah, this is a good home. And I'm, I'm very thankful that uh, I'm in a place where I can use, use giftings mm. and, and not have to take the whole ball of wax that comes with being able to use those. So. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Well said. Um, and I have one final observation, and then we, we got to move into the gospel because it's a great gospel we want to look at. You are wearing a kilt. I am. <laughs> I am. Um, listeners may think, wait, wait, but that's a German last name. Yes, it is. I am adopted. Um, I was adopted by Germans. And uh, my ancestry, however, is heavily British, and of that British, very heavily Scots. So um, that's just a part of of uh, me that I've chosen to embrace. And uh, I, I wear kilts most of the time. Love it. Love it. Should we look at the gospel? No, no transition. No fancy transition. I, I, I totally forgot to prepare one. Oh. Let's look at the gospel. Today's gospel text comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 20. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Go, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. 
Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to your feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazim! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon. They would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted in heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you the authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So last week, I believe I talked about Luke chapter 10 in regards to Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends out the 12, right? Uh, and they return. And here, this is that next group, that next kind of circle of people that Jesus trained for this work. This work that um, that we are also called to do. Um, it's important, though, to, <laughs> to read the Bible well, to understand what are specific instructions uh, for this group of people and what are um, just general uh, wisdom. Like, what, what is our takeaway for this? Understanding that Jesus gave these very specific instructions. So if we were to go out, um, would we do the exact same thing? Would we carry no knapsack? Would we stay in one house? Things like this. Like, there is a principle behind this that, that um, is more important than these very specific um, things. But I think the thing that's important to remember is that the church is this um, is this new group. It's yes, we have people who are trained and sent out to be missionaries, and some people who are gifted as evangelists. But in general, there is a spiritual truth that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so, when we're not out in the harvest working to point people to Jesus, having um, conversations that are are continuing the conversation that God is already having with them. When we're not doing that, we have to spend time in prayer, praying to the Lord of the harvest, that more laborers would be sent into the harvest. This is ordained people. This is unordained people. This is all of it. Um, to pray for the church, that we would remember this call uh, to the nations, this call to our neighbors, um, that, the God, that God loves lost people. But there is more celebration in heaven at the um, repenting of someone who is far from God than uh, one than one person 
far from God, who returns, which we'll see in Luke 15. We have those three uh, parables of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. So um, for, for me, Kirk, it, it's probably no surprise to you that uh, Luke 10, too, is, is one of my favorite verses. Um, it, it's just deeply meaningful to me to, to think of um, this call to pray to the Lord earnestly, mm. to the Lord of the harvest, to send out labors into his harvest. What a great adverb. Right? Yes. Um, it should be an adverb for like our whole Christian life, right? Yes. It all, all, all ought to be done earnestly. So um, what, what, is the, what, are, what is the guidance that is given to these people? Well, first of all, I think three years ago when we talked about this, I pointed <laughs> out the importance of going out two by two. Um, that uh, this is something that's hard to do alone. Mm. I remember um, years ago, our, before our first Easter sunrise service, which is this big outreach opportunity at Church of the Resurrection, um, where one night I went door to door inviting people with a partner. And it was an awesome thing. Uh, just seeing God work in those conversations, um, it's powerful. But then one night I went out on my own. And by the fifth house, um, when no one answered the door, like go to one house, knock on the door. I'm just estimating. It might have been the 10th house. But by the fifth house, I quit and went home. Yeah. Like I, I needed that encouragement. Because um, in fact, like not every person was pleasant. Um one out of every 30 houses, um, you'd have somebody who was perhaps hostile. Right. Um, and uh, speaking of that, uh, Jesus prepares them for multiple responses. Um, that uh, he, he has kind of two two kind of options here. That, that the houses of, of the people of peace, a son of peace, which is basically, is, is there a response here? Like, are, are, do they hear you? Do they listen? Um, uh and, and this is what we are seeking when we do this work is we're seeking people of peace, people who respond. Uh, we do not put all our chips, um, I guess, to use a gambling metaphor. <laughs> we do not put all our chips on one particular thing. Like we don't work on somebody until um, we turn them to Jesus. Um, we allocate our resources um, wisely. Um if there's a response, then absolutely we we invest more in that person. Uh, if not, we move on. Um, in fact, sometimes uh, cleaning the dust off of our feet. Um, I want to say uh, just a few specific things um, about these instructions. Um, carry no money bag. Um, okay, so verse three, uh, basically sending them out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Like it, this, there's a danger to it. Absolutely. Um, this danger of discouragement. There's literal danger um, uh, to, to their own um, well-being. Uh, verse four: All this carry no no money bag, knapsack, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. I'm not sure about the greet no one on the road. <laughs> I, I think probably that has to do with like remember your task. Like your task is to go out and get to the place. Like do, do not be. What's that? I'm from small town. South Dakota, and I still do this on the, on the steering, steering wheel. You know, you raise the flag to, to yep. signal your driver, hello, hello. And my wife goes, why do you do that? Nobody does it here. And I'm like, because the one time I don't do it, they're going to do it, and I'm going to feel like a jerk. <laughs> yeah, so so don't greet anyone. I would imagine it's like, don't don't get distracted. Like, don't do not be waylaid by um, all the great conversations you might have on the way. Like, you have a purpose that, that you're you're sent to, to, to do. 
Um, as far as the carry, no money bag, no sap, uh, knapsack, no sandals. Basically, um, know that the, the Lord will provide. Um, and uh, th- there are so these are principles of like, yeah, you're allowed to carry a knapsack, but but just like understand the Lord um, will provide. Uh, remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. So there's a lot here. Um, one of those things is um, if you don't like if the hospitality is is shoddy um that's not an excuse to go find a richer house with you know where they serve you better food oh, um interesting you know if they may not, be, right. may not be the best cook but like you're not looking for status um you're not saying well i now that i'm in this town for a few days like i realize that this house i picked um not only do they not know how to bake good bread but like they're kind of nobodies you know no uh, remain with them um and uh and there's instructions heal the sick and say to them the kingdom of god has come near to you this is this is the same thing that the 12 did in luke 9 and this is the, the same thing that jesus did in his ministry um proclaim the kingdom and he provided signs of the kingdom this this uh healing of the sick um and and so you you see uh eat what is set before you yeah like don't um don't uh, the labor deserves his wages don't feel guilty about receiving food because you you've um you've earned this and and this is a principle that, that goes for for pastors like yeah. pastors don't need to be bivocational um but uh but th- those who, who labor um for the sake of the church um shouldn't feel bad at the, at the fact that they get to earn a living um that way so uh there's a lot more here um i guess i'll say one more thing i saw satan fall like lightning from heaven mm-hmm. um I believe this this has to do with um, not necessarily like a fatal blow, um, but but um, this incursion of the kingdom uh, is, is like a sign that like Satan is it like his defeat is 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 near. I think it's the same the same thing that John saw when he saw the beast bound and yeah. thrown into the pit for a thousand years. That that's what yeah. John was seeing it from the heavens, and Jesus is giving us the. Well, also, I I, I think the sense of authority, the authority that Christ speaks with, he was there, um, at the fall, of yeah. of these fallen angels, right? Like before before create the creation of um of the heavens and the earth, right? Um, he was he was there. So so I mean, of course, when I give you the authority and send you out. Um, the demons will listen, man. I was, I was there when their master was cast out. I think, I think there's, there's that as well. Scott, what do you see here? Um, just a couple of thoughts to go along with what Christopher said, you know, talking about the Lord's provision. Um, it's interesting that, you know, later in the gospels, he tells them the opposite, you know, make sure you prepare, get a, get an extra cloak, make sure you have shoes, get a sword. Um, and I think that's because Jesus, I mean, in terms of just practicality, Jesus, this is the short term that Jesus is, is sending them out because he's sending them to where he's going. He's not just saying, okay, you go south and then come back in six months. Um, he's sending them somewhere he's going. So he's not saying don't prepare for a long journey. Don't prepare to you know set up shop and be permanently there. He's saying, 
you're 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 basically my herald you're proclaiming yeah. my coming to the city you're doing my works there before i get there and i'm going to take care of you my father is going to take care of you while you do those things um so yeah there's no need for money back because one you're not going to be there for very long and two i'm going to provide for you um second thing i saw here and this is just culturally this is just relevant in terms of i i preached last week on uh, the fruits of the spirit and this always jumps out this has been jumping out at me more and more um you know when he talks about wipe the dust off your feet and protest um there's a there's a spirit in our culture uh, a christian culture of well you you don't accept what i say so just wait well maybe they don't accept what you're saying because you're a jerk I'm right. You know, um, something I mentioned in my sermon, you know, when we talk about love being the, the, the first of the fruits of the spirit, Paul writes that, you know, love is not rude. And um, it, it, it's really important how you say things and how you communicate a message. Um, because you can go on and you can you can say something true, but if you lace it with coarse coarseness and you, you name calling and you know just all sorts of just nastiness um i feel like social media has bred the the urge the unhelpful urge to win arguments sure not by not by like winning the argument but also by like destroying the yeah. person yeah uh, and it's made us worse instead of like the reason we try to I guess even win an argument seems coarse is because god is truth like the mm -hmm. truth is light like we 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 wish to lead people to the truth because the truth is a person who loves them. Yeah, and uh, and is the truth worth <laughs> speaking right. if it's not spoken in love? Speak the truth in love. Right. Like speaking it in love is just as important as right. speaking truths and and just like uh, humiliating people by like yeah. dropping truth. And I'm guilty of this. Like I'm like half Vulcan. Like I love <laughs> I love the 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 the, be the beauty of beautiful logical destruction of someone else's argument. But that's not it. Doesn't do anything for yeah, the kingdom. I, you know, Paul Paul writes somewhere that, you know, I wouldn't have known what coveting was except for the law. But when the law came, sin came alive and I died. Well, I don't know, like you were saying, it breathes this argument. Would we have had that tendency to do that without the, what's the word I'm looking for? The uh, the catalyst, the, the, uh, the medium to do mm -hmm. it. So that, that was always there. Right. But now social media is there and sin goes, Ah, we can use yes. that. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, the most quoted verse, I think, is the one that you said that that, that, that speaks to you. Uh, verse two: the harvest is plentiful, plentiful, but the laborers are few. Um, and I think this speaks to eternal truths, both of the church and of human nature. First of all, of the church. Um, there's been a lot of hand wringing over the last several decades of clergy shortage across communions, right? Um, I know it's very painful for me. Many of my friends um, in kind of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Pittsburgh, of uh, venerable parishes, are 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 being merged um, to create kind of these these local mega churches, just because there aren't priests. There just aren't, um, and it's kind of sad. And I, we see this across across communions as well um uh, but this is in some ways re reassuring like it has always been thus right <laughs> we see at the beginning the inception of the church um there was a clergy 
Christ is speaking to a clergy shortage, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, it has ever been thus. So, and we shouldn't despair. Um, um, and if we ever, if this is a reminder to um, uh, a, a, a high belief in the Holy Spirit is a high belief in the church. So let's invest in brick and mortar institutions like seminaries, um, scholarships in these seminaries so that we have um, prepared uh, pastors ready to go out to do like the most difficult but needful work that exists, which is caring for the flock. Um, also, I think the another eternal truth um, is is uh, is about humanity, humanity, human nature. Um, a view of history can give the cursory impression that humans um, change, or that humans flip positions, or that beliefs change. Um, but to know the gospel is to know that human nature is eternal and evenly distributed, and in every generation. Um, afflicted consciences are in need of healing and forgiveness. <laughs> and so the harvest will always be plentiful. Um, and we'll need to speak to that in new ways with new vocabularies. But the re reality always remains the same, is hurting people in need of Christ's grace and healing. Um, that the word of forgiveness that the church brings, nothing else can give that to us all. And so in that way, the harvest will always be plentiful. So Christopher, I love that you see this um, verse as encouragement. Um, I, I do see a lot of discouragement, I think, in inst Christian institutions because of the shortage of clergy. Um, but we're, there's, there, there's always one we're always one generation of young clergy away from renewal. And so that is incredibly hopeful to me. I mean, isn't I it encouraging to know that, that God is in charge? <laughs> yes. Um, and, and even at, like if we feel hopeless, um, as we pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, right. send out laborers, like God does something in prayer. It's not just us speaking to God. Like as we go to God with one thing, sometimes um, he will answer and, and give us peace, give us mm -hmm. encouragement, give it like God works on our hearts as we pray. Mm-hmm. And in verse 16, um, I think it's important as well. Uh, I don't know how discouraged um, kind of clergy can get when they feel, when, when they suddenly realize that mostly what greets them are smiles but deaf ears, <laughs> right? Um, the one who hears you, hear, uh, the one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Um, it's okay, right? You're not, you're not being rejected, right? Some hearts are, um, are just, um, closed off to God. And it's not that, um, you're doing ministry wrong. I don't, Christopher, yeah. I don't know if that's, yeah. um, sometimes discouraging to clergy, but. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. And, and so it's, it's, this is something important to remember. I mean, th do you know what this makes me think of? Samuel. Mm. Right when they ask for a king, right? <laughs> Samuel was like the first discouraged, not the first discouraged, like like he was a discouraged priest. Yeah, and yeah, he says does say like I, and, no, I no. obviously I've completely failed you. <laughs> and, and God says they have not rejected you, right? They've rejected me. And and like Samuel needed that reminder in in, in seeking a king. Um, that they, yeah. 
I think too, we should keep in mind that we never, whether you're a priest or a deacon or just a, a layman, you never know when you're the planter or mm. you're the waterer or you're the harvester. Mm. Yeah. Um, so while what might look like rejection to you might just simply be planting or watering. Yeah. Um, right. And that person might come to faith way down the road. A helpful parallel um, parable to this, I think that's helpful as well to, to avoid discouragement is the um, parable of the, the, the weeds where um, Jesus uh, or the, um, what the farmer says, like, do not uproot the reeds, mm -hmm. like, but rather at the harvest, we'll then, we'll then separate it all. Right. So um, if there's ever discouragement where, um, how, how much is this getting through to the flock? Um, I don't, I don't know. Um, the two, oh, I'm sorry. No, I was, I was just going to say that, um, yeah, if, if people feel the need to, to quickly um, wipe the dust that clings to their feet, um, like, so Jesus, you know, does say, like, wipe it, not don't just wipe it off and move on. Um, he points out, say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near. Um, that if if we were to take this in a, in a, just a very literal way where people who, when we feel rejected, um, when in fact we may be planting seeds, we may be watering, um, hopefully, you know, winsomely calling them to return. Um, like we, we shouldn't respond punitively because like the punishment comes in, comes at the harvest. Right. Um, like it'll be more about on that day. That, that day is, is to come when, um, you know, we, we talked about the hymn, come you thankful people yes. come, you know, about gathering his garner in or whatever. I'm <laughs> right. um, like, like that that like James that's language. where where um it's punitive where the, our job isn't to like make them feel stupid for rejecting but like it, it's just that like our our energy is better used elsewhere that like if people don't respond if, if we don't find people at peace we move on it's not our job to punish them um when in fact like scott i just appreciated that that point that like there are so many times that, it, that, it, that i'm sure that for both for all of us here where where it seemed like somebody was lost and we gave um some some kind words of truth that we spoke the truth in love in ways that um were integral into bringing them back into the fold um where we didn't pronounce punishment upon them um but we spoke the truth in love in, in a way that like was clear where we watered and nourished um their faith so that they were able to return can i say a final word about the two by two because yeah I, I that 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 was likely to have slipped past me this year um, until you made a point of bringing it up, Christopher. Um, we, uh, I, th I think I've talked about this a little bit um, in this forum. Um, you know more intimately the details. Uh, our parish the last three years has went through some enormous upheaval. Um, and yet we have had a deacon who has been an utter backbone. Mm. <laughs> and so there have always been two, our rector and our deacon. And, um, uh, and, and I don't know what ministry would have been like um through through our transition had um had a, you know any any interim clergy or our new rector been alone mm -hmm. um but the two the aspect of two and of course um help in ministry is the entire point the entire, entire talos of a diaconal ministry right mm -hmm. is to be that support that help that good cheer um the, the, the nitty-gritty stuff 
Um, it's so vital. So thank you for pointing it out that that two by two bit and that is vital. Um, it is it has to be hard to feel alone in ministry, and I think that's a that's a two is better than one man in ministry. I think that's definitely true. Um, Jenny, gentlemen, any final thoughts before we take a look at our culture segment? For our culture segment today, um, we are going to look at life after Roe versus Wade. Yes, we are tackling it. This is important to talk about. On June 24th, the Supreme Court of the United States held that the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood of Southeastern Pennsylvania versus Casey are overruled. The authority to regulate abortion is returned to the people and their elected representatives. And I am reading verbatim from the opinion here as I say this. Reversed and remanded, 6-3. In an opinion by Justice Alito, Justice Thomas and Kavanaugh filed concurring opinions. Chief Justice Roberts filed an opinion concurring in the judgment. Justices Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan filed a dissenting opinion. In short, now this is my words, the matter of regulating abortion has been sent back to the states. So what does that mean? Right now, 13 states with trigger bans, um, which was legislation that had been uh, had been designed to take into effect if Roe v. Wade were ever overturned. Um, uh, trigger bans, uh, had, 13 states had trigger bans and they will prohibit abortions within 30 days of the ruling. I think there are several states that had had them the same day. I think off the top of my head, Louisiana was one of them. That doesn't matter. Um, at least eight states banned the procedure the day the ruling was released. Uh, in 20 states and the District of Columbia, abortion is legal and likely to be protected. However, five states without trigger laws, Alabama, Georgia, Iowa, Ohio, and South Carolina, courts have blocked or struck down recent laws that banned most or all abortions. But without Roe, those laws will probably take effect within weeks or months after some legal wrangling. Gentlemen, super broad. Where does the church go from here? Scott, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I want to say, first off, um, it's okay to have mixed feelings about this ruling. Um, and I know there's some ultra conservative going, oh, he said it. He's, hmm. he's pro-abortion. No, I'm not. Um, Abortions. You have it written on your kilt right there. No, I don't. <laughs> There's one guy out there. He's going to believe that. He's going to be all up in my DMs. Yeah. So um, mixed feelings because I'm, I'm elated that there's no longer this blanket. You can kill babies for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. um, uh, pseudo law out there. 
because I mean, it's it's funny they're they're now pushing to codify Roe, which is like, why do you have to codify? I thought it was law. Um, so they they acknowledge it's not actually law, um, but in South Dakota uh, is one of those that banned it immediately. Um, and I'm thankful for that. I'm I'm thankful to drive by the Planned Parenthood building here in town on my way out to the water park and see it empty. Um, hopefully, we'll see a Spirit of Halloween store go in there. Or, uh, <laughs> right. But but seriously, I I would hope that. Uh, places like that would be turned into memorials, mm. uh, much uh, like we do with concentration camps. Um, you know, it would be good. Um, would be a, um, a a graveyard for for children for for dead children. Yeah, just a thought, um, like a, like a way of consecrating it for good. Right, much yeah. like Germany is not allowed to forget what happened under the Nazi government. Uh, I don't think we should ever be allowed to forget. Um, mm. We shouldn't. We shouldn't treat this like we unfortunately treated the antebellum South and put up statues of people who right. who uh, who um, fought for that continued oppression. Uh, we should we should put up memorials and museums and statues to never let us forget what we allowed. I hadn't in this thought country. of that, but I I bet that we will see some of that. Yeah, I, I hope I hope. Because um, what's the number? Sixty three million. Yeah, something like 63 that. Sixty three million abortions. Yeah, uh, that's a generation. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that if, if you lay it out statewide by population, that's whole states uh, gone. Um, so I'm, I'm elated that that process has ended here. Um, I hope that it does not get codified. Um, that said, I, I do have real concerns um, for some of these state laws that are very ambiguous when it comes to medical care for actual crisis reasons. Um, I think it was Ohio where there's there's a proposed law that would just outlaw the procedure. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the procedure is also used when removing um, stillborn. Or like ectopic pregnancies? Ectop- yeah, uh, it's called a DNC. Is it possible that there's right now a, a lot of con- confusion and fear swirling on? Oh, definitely, definitely. And, um, you know, the... The, the cult of Molech who just lost their sacrament, they're, they're definitely using that. Yeah. Um, I say that tongue in but, cheek. I, but, at I the, but at the same time, like there are states that are proposing laws that would be um, unnecessarily punitive. Like yeah. the pro-life movement has never been in favor of <laughs> prosecuting women. Do you remember when Donald Trump was asked this? Right. And he, cause <laughs> and he had he never, he never thought about it. Cause he was kind of new, he'd new always to been the pro-choice. Right. And so he's like trying to think like, what would a pro-life person say? Yeah, right, punish them. Right. And yeah. and he and bad, yet now he that like there that. like there is yeah. that that yes those fears are being spread and I think people are being manipulated. But like there are also people pushing laws that have never ever ever been considered before. Mm-hmm. Like the idea uh, being pro-life means more than being anti-abortion, um, and that means that like we we care for the women who feel like they have no other choice than abortion. So the yeah. idea is is not to punish them, but to promote a society you, um, that that uh, makes it easier for them to raise their children. So do we need a new category of institution? So here's what I'm thinking, right? Wherever the church went, it created this new thing, orphanages, this mm-hmm. new thing, hospitals, this new thing, schools, right? Do we need a new sort of institution for for young women to not just in the moment of decision, ah, yes, you chose to have a child, good, but um, 
um, with with follow through. I'm even having trouble articulating it, Christopher. But it seems like that's kind of what you're saying is caring for and providing for uh, people who uh, are raising these children that they would have aborted on had Roe not been right. defeated. So some of those things are there in crisis pregnancy centers. How far they follow a person right. afterwards, I don't know. Um, you were saying before we started recording, Kirk, that you know this isn't the end. It's just the end of the beginning. Right. Um, the work of of ending Roe. I mean, we obviously need to finish that. Right. We need to to, to purge that evil from our land. Um, but we also need to turn our attention towards um, loving single moms, um, and that's not just not just saying, please don't engage in the behavior that leads to pregnancy um, because people are people, they do what they do. Um, and so you're always going to have single mothers, single mothers to be. Um, I will never forget sitting in our previous church that we uh, left a few years ago and a, a guest minister had come in. He was, he was some old, 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 old fashioned German reform guy. And I remember, I don't remember the exact quote, but he said something very scathing about, about single mothers mm -hmm. um, and single mothers of color. And Emily, my wife, Emily, and I we just sat there and like, did he just, uh, did he just say that? Like, and, and in front of us was oh my. a gal who was a single mother. Mm. And I just, oh, I was like, what is she thinking right now? Um, that stigma needs to end. You could probably take most of the Gospels and to better contextualize them, pull out tax collector mm -hmm. <laughs> and put in single mothers, yeah. in single mothers yeah. um, and to kind of help understand who Jesus would be. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I, like, I do not mean to presume what Jesus' ministry would be right now, but I think that that's, that's probably... Yeah, a, a fair and, and that is again that one guy is out there going. See, he's against biblical morality. No, no, that's not to say that we don't preach a, a Christian sex ethic. Um, it's that we we preach it generously, and we we realize that we're sinners, and uh, even the most holy of us only have a, a small beginning of holiness. Well, and and the the idea that um, that the sin of of fornication. Um, like forever taints you mm -hmm. um like there's no restoration there it's 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 that's not a christian belief um these, these people who are living their lives apart from the christian ethic let i mean scott it you, you meant you use the phrase they do what they do like that's that's the world out there and the church always <laughs> needs the church needs to continually focus on preaching the gospel to right. them um and not say that like this sin that you committed five years ago stains you forever. That's not the gospel. Christian pulpits can never move on from preaching grace. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Christ crucified for sinners, for sinners, for sinners, for sinners. Um, and that's and you, me, and that's the single mother. And it is release from the voice that tells you that you're guilty. And, um, this is a great opportunity, by the way, yeah. I think, for the church to well, for preach sure. that, pre and preach it's, release and it's from weird that, that bondage. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> it's weird that, that Scott feels a little bit defensive as if like people are going to criticize us for being uh, morally lax <laughs> or preach for proclaiming the gospel to sinners. Like, that is the work. That is the, the, 
the work, uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers and harvest. Like that is the work. We are like sending, praying that the Lord to, that the Lord would send out laborers into the harvest, proclaiming the good news to sinners. Yeah. Yeah. Not saying those who are whole um, are welcome. <laughs> I, no. I think what people get stuck on is the the shake your feet. Mm. Um, they're like, oh, I get to shake my feet. They, it's like, oh, there's, there's a segment of people who just relish that. <laughs> yeah. um, last week, the gospel text, you know, uh, Jesus mentioned his disciples saying, should we call down fire right. from heaven? Yes, it's so good. <laughs> and, um, you know, in the lecture, the alternate reading was um, Elisha calling right. down fire from heaven. Yeah. And Christians, I mean, the disciples then, the Christians today, some, some of us are really yeah. stuck in that. Do we get to call on fire from heaven? Where's where's the smite button? Do I get yeah. to press yeah. it now? 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 Is it now? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. No, the forgiveness button. Press that yeah. button. Pre the, 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 the smite button will get pressed. <laughs> you don't, you're not the one who's going <laughs> to Right. Um, something really interesting is going to happen in 20 years. So oftentimes, uh, uh, a, a pro-choice kind of talking point was, um, you know someone who had an abortion, you just don't know it. Um, and that may have been true. Um, uh, but, 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 in the next 20 years. Um, well, you also may have known someone who, who um, a, a parent wished to have aborted and then circumstances intervened and that person wasn't. Well, what's going to happen in this next 20 years is you will increasingly know more and more people who would have been aborted. Now there's no way to know, but they'll be part of your school right. and part of your workplace and in your church. Um, and it's just gonna be an increasing part of the fabric of our life. Um, and and um, and this in some ways is the ultimate pro-life point. Um, the, the first chapter of the Bible, one of the things we learn of the character of God First of all, God is relationship, right? We 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 see God says we, he refers to we, right? Um, let us and, create man. Yeah, let, let us create. And and God is creative, right? He, he's generative. Um, and this is part of the Imago Dei, of course, that women carry, right? Um, God can create life. Mm -hmm. And women have this mystical power of being able to create human life as well. And so in the ultimate pro-life entity is God. Mm -hmm. And what God will reap out of this is more human life. And it'll be integrated in ways that will be impossible to trace, but throughout all of our lives mm -hmm. on people that would have otherwise never have been. And, and I think what you said, you know, we all know someone who has had an abortion. Well, if you back that up, we all know someone who has, then you can fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. um, we all know someone who's been raped, uh, whether they've talked about it or not. Um, we all know someone. Um, we all know someone who's, you know, been in, had domestic abuse, been in an abusive relationship. Um, all of these wounded people who cover it, um, you know, we're out there to harvest. And when you go around and you're just whacking everybody with, mm. with a big club, uh, oh, you don't agree with me, whack. Um, all you're doing is, is sending out the wounded away from you. Um, something that I, I, I troll once in a while is TikTok and I, I've been on the scene. <laughs> I know, I know it's a weird thing for me to say, right? You're dabbling with fire. Yeah, I know. Sir. I totally am. Uh, but follow I, him at the Kilted <laughs> Anglican. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, I, I see people who deconstruct and they point out real problems and Brad, they don't listen to the people who also point out the real <laughs> problems and said, here's the actual solution. They run headlong into progressivism. And now they're just doing the same thing that they were when they were in the, you know, ultra fundamentalists. They're just doing the opposite mm, yeah. response. Uh, let me, I want to meditate for a moment and bounce this off you um, both. Uh, um, what, what was the nature of evil that was already here? So we said um, God creates life and women are, women are created in the image of God and be able to do the same, which is a marvelous gift, right? Um, so St. Augustine made this point um, as well, and it's biblical, but it's interesting um, that, that, that evil, evil isn't actually an entity. It's sort of an absence, right? Mm -hmm. It's vacuum. It's darkness. It's, it's, it's absence. It's void, Right. And, and and that's not reassuring. Right. Because if you've ever been dumped into space, you will die quickly. Right. Mm -hmm. We cannot live uh, apart from God, apart from good things. We cannot live in void. I um, mean, so it is anti-life in that way. Right. Like God is generative. Evil, evil is, is anti-generative. Right. So um, Peter Kreef, who is a, a contemporary philo American philosopher, um, made the point that, like, you can tell um, that abortion is a, sat a satanic sacrament because it uses the words of a Christian sacrament. Mm -hmm. a, a woman um, def defiantly, angrily says, this is my body, mm -hmm. um, but like for me, right? Whereas when Christ said, this is my body mm -hmm. and then poured it out for others to give life, healing and forgiveness, right? Um, so I, I there, there was something diabolically sacramental about, about this. And I wonder what happens after this. Where does that go? Where does that energy go? Um, any thoughts? The, the evil energy? <laughs> yeah, I mean. I mean, aren't there marches <laughs> everywhere um, protesting this? There was one apparently last night. Right here, in, yeah. In, uh, down Philip Kennedy. I think it. Well, what does Jesus say about demons cast out of a person? They go through waterless places and they travel around and they gather, you know, seven more, 70 more worse than them and they go mm -hmm. back. Um, I think that kind of darkness just perpetuates. Um, <clears throat> I, I once stood outside of the Planned Parenthood clinic in the clinic, I shouldn't call it the clinic, the facility here in Sioux Falls and... Um, you know, there were people lined up in pink shirts saying healthcare happens here. And um, it, it was just interesting to me how some of them was like, you know, some of them were, some of them were men, some of them were women and nobody came in. Cause I don't think they were doing any procedures that day. Um, but the next time that I went, there were more and people who would drive by and give us the finger and, um, <clears throat> yell things at, at us. Um, that kind of darkness just, it clumps together mm. and it just perpetuates itself. So in light of our gospel, right, the labor, uh, the harvest continues to be plentiful in this regard. Yeah. I, I mean, like you said, this is the end of the beginning. Um, it, like this, uh, conflict is, is really, just beginning so they it's now um it's it's not a, a constitutionally enshrined right um and so 
state by state, democratically, um, states will decide whether or not abortion is legal. And um, many companies have said we will we will pay um, right. the expenses for you to go to a different state if it's illegal in the state you reside. Um, just uh, which which is just heartbreaking that that's. Uh, you know, even though they, they would, wouldn't pay the same thing for, I, for an adoption. I can't right. think of a more dystopian <laughs> right. of Apple or Amazon or whatever comes in. Yeah, we'll pay for you to go, you know, across the country to get an abortion. So you can come it, back it and get right back. It makes total financial sense for a company. Uh, um, once a year, I get from uh, the, the district office, um, I get the statement. Um, I, I have four children of how much my health care costs the school district. <laughs> and it is a shocking number. Sure. Of course they would pay four grand mm-hmm. <laughs> to yeah. keep that number down. Uh, yeah. So like it, it um, as a, I don't want to say culture war issue, but just a disagreement between Christians and those who, um, I, I don't know how to charitably put, um, you know, those who, who are, virulent uh supporters of of abortion um but the, the conflict will continue and and yeah like you said like the harvest is plentiful and so like think of those people in your lives like we don't need to meet them on the battlefield um as as uh pro-life people wearing pro-life shirts and them wearing pro-abortion or pro-choice shirts but um there are neighbors mm-hmm. um they're co-workers um meet them there um show show let your light shine before others so they may say see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven um this is where you know i've talked many times about just um how god has started a conversation with them and so like what what wounding do they have in their life where um have they been raped Mm -hmm. um have have and and carrying the child of of somebody who raped them was unbearable for them and so they're fighting now um, so this this kind of almost demonic thing um, has clung with them, and now they're calling a a bad thing good um, out of that wounding. So in what way can we minister to them where they are, um, showing them like showing them God's love through our own host- like relational hospitality um, before we even talk about abortion? Let's let's uh, have a meal together. Let's let's um let's let them see God's love relationally. Mm-hmm. And also, like, to take a mystical turn for a moment, um, we need to remember um, to pray. Mm. To pray. Um, the church at prayer. Pray earnestly, yes. Um, the church at prayer is a fearsome thing. Um, and uh, we probably need to pray now. Uh, there have been a couple of, I mean, most Christians will not encounter it in this way. Um, but there have been a couple uh really almost Hollywood cinematic um, encounters over the last several weeks. Um, there was a, uh, a church in lower Manhattan that there was a, um, uh, a, uh, a vigil um, for the unborn. Mm-hmm. It was, it was occurring inside. Did you see this? I didn't know. Um, and a, 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 I don't know how to characterize this. There's sort of a, a constellation of kind of advocates of different policies Um was it a pro-choice? Was it a pride parade? Was it was it all of the above? Um, was going past and kind of and, and became aware that this church was having a vigil, 
Um, and there was just a, um, it was, it, it was out of revelation <laughs> because you had, and, and this is the demographic thing, interestingly, right? Um, the median Christian now in the United States is y a young Hispanic women, right? <laughs> so you had, you had like immigrant women um, pray, uh, praying the rosary while they were being screamed at by affluent white people <laughs> um, outside of church. And, um, um, and it, it, was, it was very clear in that image that um, like prayer is our weapon. It is, it is, mm. it just is, right? So we need to, as you said, like lay down our weapons <laughs> and, and, and lift up um, our, our hearts to God in prayer. That is, that is the tool that we have at our disposal. Yeah, it's, it's interesting in our discussion that, that none of us have, have even defended um, the idea that uh, it's, it's a no-brainer that um, the Bible is stridently um, pro-life. Um, but uh, I mean, it might be worth saying just a few words to, about to that. How, that a little bit. how, yeah, how sure. we like we are known by God. Uh, he knows the hairs of our head. He knew us before. He knows us in our innermost parts that um, we were knit together in our mother's womb. Um, that uh, that the practice of the church was to rescue abandoned babies um, left at the dump. Yes. Um, adoption. The oldest known catechism of the church, the Didache. Very, yes. very clearly says, do not abort, do not expose your children. Right. Yeah. Um, and and um, the the uh, you know it's 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 just um, life is precious. Um, every life is precious, and God loves um, the vulnerable. And what is more vulnerable, like what is more vulnerable than a fetus, like a fetus? Right. But um, at the same time, like people have used their vulnerability to say. Um, it's just a clump of cells. Okay, pro-choice right. people say we are all just clumps of cells up until mm -hmm. like some arbitrary point where you know because like we are dependent on our mothers for at least a year and a half, if not two years. Right. Um, so like, and then you're still dependent on your parents, <laughs> you know, for a long time for a after. long time. Right? Yeah. So 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 to... there are long periods of your life when you're unaware. Yeah. Right. If I were to die in my sleep, I would be unaware. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean that my life isn't being taken. Right. So I'm, that's, I'm diverting into a different argument. But... Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so anyway, like, you know, we've been arguing under the assumption that of course, um, like God supports these, these vulnerable, um, uh, even though, like, I even hesitate to use the word fetus. I use that only right. to, to say to refer to an unborn child. In Latin baby. means child. It just means child. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a bit of semantics to right. avoid saying the uncomfortable thing. Um, Christopher, you like to use a, a, a great word, um, telos, yes. teleology, um, which is, which is a, a, a great Christian concept, um, which is um, God creates things with intention, right? Um, things have purposes, right? If, if you've ever had a cat, um, sitting at a window watching a bird and watching their tail twitch, you know the telos of a cat. They are a great <laughs> fearsome killer, right? Um, likewise, if you have a dog, right? You you see what God created them for. If you ever see them like chase down a rabbit or a squirrel, um, they're, they're glorious, beautiful creatures created to do a thing. And when they get to do that thing, it's beautiful and they do it well. Right. I, but maybe I should have brought up killing, but like but we are we are we are created we are created towards certain ends, right? Towards certain ends. Um and uh, if if you believe, right, that so so I 
I imagine that anyone who's listening this far in, who, who listens to us, believes in God, right? Um, uh, I, Albert Einstein had this um, when he was when when um, quanta, quantum physics was first proposed to him. He was horrified by it, by the indeterminacy on the quantum level, because he said God does not play dice with the universe. And he meant something different, but like we don't believe. If you believe in God, you probably believe that God doesn't play dice. He creates, he foreknows things, um, and all things have an end and a purpose. And if you believe so, um, then no human can ever be an accident. Um, all humans, um, uh, in, in the mind of God as the divine idea, um, before, uh, before they were ever conceived, um, they existed um, with a purpose, with an end. Um, obviously, human evil um, can thwart those ends, um, and that's a separate discussion, but... Um, we believe yeah and and even to tackle the difficult thing um <laughs> even just like the fact that sin and death entered the world there are miscarriages right. it's not that God designed that child to be to be miscarried mm -hmm. um but because of the enter the entrance of, of sin and death that that does happen um but still yeah you're I, making this point that that Christopher you just... zygotes are created to be people right yes. To be people that um, are, are musical or artistic or are athletic. Um, their whole trajectory exists in the mind of God, which is a more real existence than they will ever have in this life. Um, uh, C.S. Lewis in, uh, what is it? Is it the weight of glory? I forget. Um, when people arrive at heaven, in heaven, um, it's painful because the grass hurts their feet. You see the grass in heaven is more real. Yes, divorce. the great divorce. The grass in heaven is more real than our bodies were in this life, mm. right? And have to acculturate themselves to, to even realer reality, right? Um, I, I had, you overheard conversation um, in the van um, uh, this, this afternoon, Christopher, um, sharing with my children that um, they lost, uh, they lost a, 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 a cousin, cousin in a miscarriage and uh you know, i'm not gonna I'll, I'll leave it anonymous but but uh, my relative who who shared it publicly on social media shared what a profound christian witness she said i give glory to god that the first face my son or daughter will see mm. will be that of his savior mm. um and and um and so we it's it is it is a, a profound and not a crazy christian belief that um, the, the, that the, the person's soul exists in full, not in part, mm. um, at, at, at immediately after conception, um, because we do believe that people are created with an end, with a telos. Yeah. Um, to, um, and we sometimes say, have you guys heard this? I say this all the time, Christopher, the child is the father of the man. Mm. We love our kids, but the point of our kids is to become the man that they will be, right? Mm -hmm. The point of your beautiful daughter is to become the woman that she will be, right? The point is... So our recording was just cut off, um, but I was basically at the end of making my point. Um, Scott, you were um, you were in in the middle of making a very interesting yeah, point. Yeah. So I, um, I, I was saying that you know the differences of how Christians view the unborn and the very young versus how pro-choice people view it is you know pro-choice will say it's just a clump of cells, but you know historically the the church has said and, and this is uh, canons of door article 17 since we must make judgments about god's will from his word which testifies that the children of believers are holy not by nature 
but by virtue of gracious covenant in which they together with their parents are included. Godly parents ought not doubt the election and salvation of their children whom God mm -hmm. calls out of this infancy. They're not a clump of cells. It's a person. Um, regardless of, of how many limbs they have or how far along they are, there's there's a, a tremendous guy. His name's Nick Vigic, V-U-J-I-C-I-C. -I -C. I, he's Australian. Uh, he's a torso. He has mm -hmm. no arms. He has no legs. He has a little flipper foot thing. He can kind of hop around. Um, but... Christian man, and mm. his testimony is amazing about how he talks about, and how he just he makes fun of himself too. Mm. He, how he talks about how how much he knows God loves him, and you know we're in a in a culture which would look at him and say that's not desirable, that's a defect we should abort. Um, his parents chose life. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier that I'm adopted, and. <clears throat> Um, you know, my, my birth mom, you know, she was not married and, um, I found out later after I found everybody and got the documentation that, you know, she was in a bad spot. Um, my bio dad, uh, my bio father was not a good man. Um, alcoholic drug addict. Um, at one point he put a loaded gun in her face mm -hmm. uh, while she was pregnant with me. And so in a time, you know, that was 1985, you know, so in, in a time where we knew less than we knew now about the life of, of a, a child from the moment of conception, um, she didn't take the easy way out. She, she was on track to become a nurse. Uh, she didn't take the easy way out for her career or to save face for her family. Um, her her uh, parents still don't know. I have a set of grandparents that I, I don't know them mm. and uh, whether or not I get to know them is up to her and that's totally fine. Um, but she said to me uh, once, she said, you know, eating crow is, is hard even 30 years later. Oh. Um, and, but you know, at the time she could have made a very easy choice and just moved on with her life and she didn't. And I'm immensely thankful for that. And, and in the positive godly ripples that, hmm. that her difficult choice hmm. have made, um, yeah, in dozens of lives because you are here, yeah, because I, you exist. When uh, I found her, the first thing I did was I wrote her a letter and uh, I included school pictures of our kids. And I said, you know, I've included pictures of what technically are your grandchildren. And these people are alive because you did the courageous thing and, um, and gave birth to me. Mm. Um, I, have, I have one final thought that I want to wrap this all up in. Um, but any any other thoughts before we end in prayer? Uh, the this ruling, the overturning of um, of Roe v. Wade's uh, the, the Dobbs case, um, came down on June twenty fourth, which is which the Same. church celebrates the nativity of John the Baptist, um, and I just want to read to you from Luke chapter one um, when Mary vi visits Elizabeth. Um, and the clump of so what is yes. it? I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. John the Baptist worshipped, worshipped. the Lord. Yeah, worshipped. <laughs> Unborn. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that's profound <laughs> to that, say about um, what uh, others might deem just a clump of cells yeah. is that uh, uh, John the Baptist was capable of worship of of um, the word of God who was mm. there at the beginning. Any other thoughts before we pray, gentlemen? I'm, I can't top that. <laughs> Let's end in prayer. The Lord be with you also and with your you. spirit. Let us pray. Grant us, O Lord, we pray, the spirit to think and do always those things that are right, that we, who can do no good thing apart from you, may by you be enabled to live according to your will. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Kirk, next week, Scott, thanks for joining us. Thank yeah. you, Scott. Thanks for having me. Next week.